0: Welcome to Dental Appointment, a podcast by two dental students aiming to give you an insight into the world of dentistry. We will be discussing all things dental related, from dental applications to life as a dental student.
1: We will also provide you with an insight into our own experiences, as well as talking to other members of the profession about a range of different topics to get their views and learn about the different opportunities after dental school.
0: My name is Ryan. And I'm Becky. And this is Dental Appointment.
1: Welcome back to Dental Appointment. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing what career options are available to you after completing dental school and the training pathways associated with these with the help from our guest, Dr. Helen Stancliffe, who is a specialist oral surgeon, a clinical teaching fellow for oral surgery at the University of Newcastle, and also a dental specialty ambassador for the Royal College of Surgeons, Edinburgh. So thank you for joining us today, Helen. It's okay, you're very welcome.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining us, Helen. How are you doing?
1: I'm not too bad. It's uh, a lovely Sunday
2: afternoon in Newcastle, nice and cloudy, so...
0: (laughs) Ah, great to hear. Weather could be worse. (laughs) So, just kind of to kick off the episode, would you be able to tell us just a little bit about yourself and kind of your career so far?
2: Yeah, so um, I'm a specialist oral surgeon at Newcastle. So my career um, all started off undergraduate at Newcastle University. Um, Following that I can honestly say my career has taken different kind of pathways. I initially thought I wanted to be an orthodontist Um, that kind of had legs for maybe about a couple of years before I completely changed tack. So I did my normal vocational training as it used to be called um, in the Newcastle area and then following that that was when the DFT posts which are now the DCT posts um, had just started to come in. So I did a post with that where I was six months Maxvax and six month community dental services. Um, I'd already kind of had my arm twisted to come back to Maxvax by the time I'd done my first six months. So I started doing locum shifts during my community work and then managed to get myself what was then the oral surgery um, SHO post. From that I did that for another couple of years but kept doing Maxvax on call throughout. Then I got my specialty doctor post in Maxvax did that for about four years. Following that, then I applied for specialty training and got onto um, a kind of bespoke academic pathway. So it wasn't really a traditional academic pathway, which involves research. Mine was focused on teaching. So I worked, part of my job was to be a clinical teacher alongside being part-time doing my specialty training for oral surgery and then completed my membership exams and then did further training and then completed my fellowship exams. So that's where I'm up to
0: so a very diverse career you've had uh, so far and I think that does highlight that there are multiple pathways that you can venture down in dentistry um, and I suppose that's kind of what we're wanting to talk to you today about so as we, you've highlighted there there are a lot of options for us all after doing a BDS degree so briefly as you've kind of mentioned some already are you able to tell us more about these career opportunities and kind of what training is required for each
2: yeah. So, I mean, there's lots of different stuff out there, really. It's, I think when you're an undergraduate, you spend a lot of time focusing on getting the degree mm-hmm. and kind of forget that that's just the beginning. Mm-hmm. So that's just the key to the door to the rest of your career. Um, following that, obviously, some people, if you completely change your mind, don't do dentistry. There's always the option. <laughs> but hopefully most of you will continue in the dental career. Um, the most traditional thing that most people will do following graduation is doing your dental foundation training. Mm -hmm. So that's normally a year based in practice with a clinical trainer, so an educational supervisor that's looking after you until you complete that year and then you're able to then work as a dentist in the NHS. Some people do actually bypass that pathway. It's pretty much a rare thing to do, but you can immediately go into private practice. So you don't actually have to do that training year if you don't want to. Um, Once people have done that training year, that's when the various different options become available. So some people decide to stay as a general dental practitioner um, so they can work in primary care. Um, some of them do it purely NHS, some do private work, some do a bit of a mixture. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the option of going back into the hospital system. So the hospital system is where most people enter in the dental core um, trainee years, for so your DCT posts. Mm-hmm. And that gives you an opportunity to try out different careers. So it really does show you a little bit more about what the different careers are about. Um, so they'll come in all of the various different specialties some of those posts are split posts so some of them are six months of one specialty and six months of another and it's your opportunities to say to explore things and then start to develop an interest in a particular area following that some people once again go back into practice having kind of gained that insight into hospital care but other people decide to then progress the more formalized specialty training so that gives you the option to do training all of the different dental specialties so there's quite a few of them out there so this is where you can uh, have the fun of the list if you want it <laughs> so in terms of options i'm just going to see if i can remember them all now this is the test for my brain <laughs> so easy one for me i'm going to start you could do an oral surgery you could do oral and maxillofacial surgery um, you could do child dental health you could do orthodontics um, you can do special care dentistry you can do oral medicine you can do dental public health you can do restorative or you can do one of the restorative specialties. So that's where it's not the whole restorative. You can either specialise in periodontics, endodontics or prostodontics. Um, or you can do oral and maxillofacial radiology or oral and maxillofacial pathology. So they're all the different specialists that we've got as an option that you can go into. Mm-hmm. And they've all got slightly different routes, slightly different training. Um, outside of that, there is still more options. So within what we call the salary dental services, so this is where you're not kind of working as associate in practice so you're getting a set salary you've got um, work for the armed forces so some people go straight into the armed forces following qualification and do the vocational training or the foundation training through them um, and other people then just go into it at a later date and you can sign up for, for kind of various different years of service um, you've got the community dental services so that's where people that specialise in people with special needs or people who have um, additional care needs that require more time. Um, What else have we got all together? You could be a clinical teacher. So you can come in and work either through the university as basically a visiting general dental practitioner to teach the undergraduates. And some people do that as a more formalised role where you also work and do some of the other parts of undergraduate teaching. Within practice itself, you could be an educational supervisor for a trainee so you could have your own um, foundation dentist that you're helping to train up. Um, I think that's most things oh, and the, obviously the academic route so there's the whole side of research and teaching um, that's tied to the hospital um, and it's tied to specialty training for the main part mm-hmm. but there are different options you can go into so that's a kind of a bit of an overview.
1: <laughs> yeah I think that's a really comprehensive overview as well and it was quite nice the way that you worked through it like from leaving dental school um and then you can sort of go off and do all these different things um with regards to the core training Mm -hmm. can you choose what it is that you do or is it sort of like a rotation um
2: so you can choose what you apply for Uh so for those core training posts it is a competitive entry and it's done via national le- recruitment now. So you apply right. and you can you get to rank different different jobs in order and it depends where you score. So similar to getting into foundation training, when you go through that process, you'll be given a score and given a rank and then nearer the top, the best choice that you get on jobs. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you may go into it thinking that you want to do an oral facial surgery post and it might be that you get offered a restorative dental post. Right, I see. Which... Pros and cons. Sometimes it gives you the opportunity to try something that you never knew you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the specialties there's there's a lot of jobs in maxvax and mm-hmm. there's a lot less in the other kind of different dental specialties mm-hmm. because for pretty much any specialty training pathway, they like you to have done the DCT post in maxvax first. So that's one of the prerequisites that they'll have for most shortlisting processes. Right, um, and then the other bits. It's as you start to develop an interest, you'll go into different different routes Mm -hmm. they're also very keen that you don't just do one specialty so they they want you to try things Mm -hmm. um if you want to specialize to prove that you've actually had a look around at the different specialties to decide what's right for you Mm -hmm. and don't just have an understanding of one um as i mentioned before some of them are split Mm -hmm. and you will rotate anyway at six months Mm -hmm. some of them are a full year's post and then you've got the different years so you've got your dct one two and three Mm -hmm. um which give you the opportunity to work between those different specialties yeah. but there's less posts as you work your way up
1: I think it's the right way to do it though to get you sort of experiencing all the different routes because like you said yourself you might be thinking oh I want to do orthodontics like you you said Helen and then you're like oh no actually oral surgery is for me and mm-hmm. um, so I think that's quite a good way of doing it almost yeah I mean that's the main thing that I would it's come across from being
2: through my career is mm-hmm. try things first yeah because you really don't get an appreciation for what things are like as an undergraduate Mm -hmm. you get a very kind of institutionalized version of dentistry Mm -hmm. we break it into its different components Um, we teach you best practice but you really don't see kind of the real life of what's involved in those jobs in the Mm day-to-day and i think the more experience you get of that the better idea is what you're signing yourself up to once you get yourself onto some kind of training program or some kind of career path
1: yeah definitely and just to echo what you said earlier as well, it's not, you know, you can do your core training and then you don't have to go and specialise in something, do you?
2: No, not at all. I mean, it's it gives you a really good foundation of that little bit of um, beyond the safe beginner training. So that's what we always talk about as undergraduates mm-hmm. is making the safe beginner, but mm-hmm. you are very much a beginner and it's nice just to get that little bit extra experience in the different bits of dentistry and then you can take that back to your own clinical practice working in primary Mm. care yeah
1: absolutely yeah
0: yeah i think it's really good like you say getting that flavor for each different kind of speciality before making the final decision of of what you want to specialize in and when you do go to specialize are you able to kind of go and change your mind and go down another route or do you have to commit straight away
2: It's difficult once you get into an actual training post, so the training posts themselves to be a specialist are very, very competitive, Mm -hmm. and you have to start kind of teeing up your CV to show that you've got a commitment to that specialty. Now, ultimately, there's absolutely nothing stopping you changing your mind, Mm -hmm. but it's then proving to get back onto a different specialty would be quite challenging. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And if you do complete one specialty... Are you able to kind of go back on that pathway journey again to, to specialise again more than once?
2: I mean, having, having lived through specialty training, um, I've never met anybody mad enough to do it twice. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's quite a demanding pathway mm-hmm. um, to do that learning. So by the end of it, most people are keen to kind of get on with that job because um, you've trained up to be a specialist mm-hmm. or a consultant in that, yeah. in that individual specialty. Um, and you've kind of worked your salary up as you're going through that as well so some Mm -hmm. of that is if you go back down that ladder you will take a pay cut again
3: yeah
2: um so it's not it's it's that balance between what's right for you in that in the time Mm -hmm. of life that you're in so whether you've got children whether you're thinking about having children and um also where you want to be career wise longer term Mm
3: -hmm. but
2: it's it is quite a rare thing nowadays to have somebody with more than one true specialism. It tended to be something when the specialist lists were first introduced by the General Dental Council, um, they were initially had to have people what we call kind of placed onto the list and they had to make draw a line in the sand just to say, who do we think is allowed to be on this list? Because we haven't had the training programs. So you'll find the occasional person who's on more than one specialist list, okay. that was before really specialty training was I introduced.
1: See. That's yeah. quite interesting. And like you were saying about like life factors and things to consider, so say you um, did your um, training year, like your VT or your DFT, um, and then go off and do your core training, and then could you go and work in practice and then go back to like apply for a training post? Yeah, it's 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 not easy. So most people traditionally will try and apply for training
2: after the DCT posts, but you can go into practice and work. Um, the difficulty is anything that's based in hospital doesn't tend to necessarily pay as well as being based in practice so you'll find a lot of people that once you get into a, a true practice career and you've got mm-hmm. your salary and you've got your mortgage mm-hmm. and you might mm-hmm. buy a yeah. car so all these different financial constraints yeah. will come in to then take quite a big pay cut to work in the hospital mm-hmm. so it kind of works out probably similarish in the end in terms of pay but you have to get through that process of training of course
1: yeah
0: yeah I suppose you've kind of built up all those responsibilities at that point, like you say, with a mortgage and stuff like that. So a lot of people might find it quite difficult to go back. And you mentioned there about kind of going into the hospital setting. Is that where all the training takes place? Is that in the hospitals?
2: About kind of 95% of it probably is hospital based. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some areas that do do training in primary care. Okay. So some people have posts that are split between the hospital and split between working in primary care where they've got trainees there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, at the moment, it's just not the most established pathway. It's mm-hmm. um, something that's done in Northern Ireland. They've got some posts there, particularly in my specialty for oral surgery, where they train in primary care. But not everywhere in the country has that set up because most of the specialists at the moment are still hospital-based, so you need the person to train you.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. I just want to go back to, um, you were talking about the training posts for specialty and how the application process is quite similar to um, ft or vt could you just explain that a bit more please
2: for the application so Mm -hmm. it's it's done nationally it's done as what we call national recruitment so it happens once a year Um, it happens at the same time of year for all of the different specialties now so that was introduced um, a few years ago that was the orthodontics that went first with national recruitment and then i think it was 2017 that everybody else joined them For that process, um, you have to meet the criteria for the different specialties. They all have a list of criteria that are either essential or desirable. Um, You put together your CV or your application form through a site that's called Mm Oriel. So they're the ones that do all of the recruitment. And through that, you'll then go through a long listing process. So if you meet those basic criteria, you've moved into the good pile. After that, you do another bit of self-assessment. So you have to... Um, look at your own CV and say is basically like a checklist a mark form to say I've done this many publications I've done um, I've got these other qualifications and they all score you different points that has to be verified so it would be lovely Mm -hmm. just to tick all the boxes to say that you have everything but somebody does check up (laughs) Um, that's another way of then moving on then to the shortlisting process so the shortlisting process is who gets invited to the actual interview at the moment they invite about three or four people per post um, to the actual interviews for specialty training um, it varies between the different specialties how many people apply uh, for oral surgery at the moment um, for 2021 i think there was 140 applicants for wow. um, 10 posts so that's wow. roughly what you're looking at mm-hmm. per year
1: yeah very competitive
2: so it's 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 one of those things where you you've always kind of got to have it in the back of your mind and have be keeping doing things to put on your CV. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah for sure and you mentioned there about like additional qualifications that you have what sort of things are they looking for?
2: So it'll vary slightly between the different specialties but there's Mm -hmm. um, further training that you can do in teaching and education right so you can do either certificates or diplomas or Mm -hmm. even master's degrees in education for teaching and learning so that's another way of showing kind of a different skill entirely. Right. You can do qualifications, um, say in sedation, so that comes into a lot of different specialties as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do various different courses, and so not so much necessarily formal qualifications, though some of them do lead to formal qualifications. Um, all of it's just about kind of building up your portfolio,
1: right,
2: as to show that you've you've maintained that interest and you put some work into it so they don't want somebody who's just decided on a whim that it's for them Mm -hmm. by doing these things and showing that you've invested your time and your money unfortunately it does come down to it's it shows that you are going to be the person that's going to commit to that training pathway and come out the other end of it with the relevant qualifications yeah
1: it's quite similar to your application to like Mm -hmm. dental school from school isn't it yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) I mean, you'd like to think at some point it ends, but (laughs) I've kind of worked my way through There is all of those wonderful extracurricular activities that you still have to keep doing. That still applies throughout life. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just it's just about building things up and it is a gradual process. And I think it can be a bit daunting when you start to talk about publications and qualifications and research. And these are all things that you only kind of hear about as undergraduates. Mm-hmm. through working in these posts. So things like the Dental core Cherry and E-posts are designed to put you in contact with people who are doing that type of work. Mm-hmm. So they can show you how you do those projects. They can show you how to do a good audit. They can show you how to take that to a national meeting for a presentation. And these mm-hmm. are all things that score you points when it comes to shortlisting processes.
1: Make makes sense. And is this something that you would sort of recommend undergraduates to sort of put their foot in the door whilst they're training like doing their undergraduate or? So you'll be surprised there's a lot of undergraduates out there
2: who are already starting to tick those boxes right okay so the most savvy amongst them yes they're Mm -hmm. when you have all of those things where you get undergraduate essay competitions Mm -hmm. or you get kind of different prizes for things they all start to count Mm -hmm. so the more that you do doing things like these podcasts all of these show that you've got an interest in things and that you're invested in your career so this earlier that you start, the better. And to be honest, there's a lot of competitions that are aimed at undergraduates that don't necessarily get loads of entries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So although it's, it's, you're so busy as an undergraduate and as it gets towards exam season, you've got so much on your plates. If you can manage to get some of these things done earlier in the term, um, you'll find that sometimes you might be the only entry from your oh, uni yeah. mm-hmm. and some of them have have an award purely for being the entry from that uni All right, okay. <laughs> so sometimes yeah. it's easy to kind of tick that box you might not be the overall winner but you can be the winner for your local institution that's interesting so it's yeah. it's it's knowing that it's out there Um, All of the different dental specialties try to engage undergraduates. Mm -hmm. Lots of them have either discounted memberships um, for the different societies or will do discounted attendance at conferences. Mm -hmm. And that's where opportunity when our specialties come together to do updates on everything and also a really good networking opportunity to see who you'd be working with in the future.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. And I think just for those that are listening, actually, I think these opportunities can be found like on... The societies of each specialty is that right in saying yeah yeah, yeah all the diff- all of them all have websites yeah. um that all give you that information
0: so to kind of go back to the actual uh, specialty pathways mm-hmm. are all the pathways kind of similar in time frame
2: um yes and no so the traditional pathway so that the main pathway that that most um specialty training involves would be three years to train to be a specialist and then you sit your ccst examinations and then that's your membership of your different royal colleges and that makes you then eligible to go into a specialist list and then most of the specialties then have two years of further training to take you to what was then traditionally being consultant level um, where you'd sit your fellowship examinations Mm -hmm. so that's the basic pathway it does vary a little bit between some of the specialties so some of the ones the kind of have more bespoke pathways. So things like oral and maxillofacial pathology mm-hmm. is a different pathway. Um, you train a lot more similar to a, um, a general medical pathologists where you have a straight five-year training pathway. So there isn't any kind of partway point to be a specialist. You're training all the way to your fellowship mm-hmm. um, from the word go. Um, special care dentistry, that's a one of the newer dental specialties. Um, that's purely just got a three-year training pathway and that will just get you to a membership. But at the moment they don't have a fellowship level so some specialties will appoint you to a consultant purely off a membership exam and some of them will appoint you off a fellowship exam so it just depends on the different ones mm-hmm. um, the mono specialties are different as well so you can do a restorative mono specialty. so rather than training in the whole thing so if you've got a particular interest in endodontics um, you can do a dent. so it's another qualification um, within endodontics mm-hmm. and then also then set the membership examination for endodontics is just a single specialty mm-hmm. and that's a three-year process so that is that little bit of fluctuation obviously MaxFax is the one that has the slightly longer pathway mm-hmm. so for that it does involve going back and doing an undergraduate medical degree and then taking the more formalized training that you would expect of any medical specialty so doing your foundation years mm-hmm. um, in medicine and then doing some of your core training years Mm-hmm. which then the slightly different pathways that lead into max for how many of the core training years that you do or as to what point on the training pathway mm-hmm. you start, depending on what your kind of basis was to begin with.
0: Mm-hmm. And just kind of touching again on the time aspects of things, do a lot of people work at the same time as going through the specialty training or other posts in the kind of hospital and that's then their full-time role?
2: Yeah, a so specialty training is a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a lot of work, um, but it is salaried. So you are getting paid as you do it. <laughs>
3: um,
2: salary is, it, you, as I say, it's not quite as good as being in practice, but it's, it gradually builds up. So it's not unreasonable. Um, Mm -hmm. and you have the advantage Mm -hmm. that it's not dependent on your workflow so in practice obviously if you work as an associate it depends on what your targets are um, and how you meet them as to how you get paid whereas this is a set fee this is what you're going to get paid each year you can do it less than full-time training so some people do choose to do it as a Mm part-time it will extend your pathway so the training time itself is longer Um, so sometimes that can make it more difficult but some people do sometimes balance that with a day in practice um, working as a general dental practitioner or some people just practice it with other additional work mm-hmm. so they might work within that specialty um, doing additional sessions for extra money um, they might do it as part-time because they're kind of doing parental roles the rest of the week mm-hmm. so it just depends on the individual
3: mm-hmm.
1: so there's lots of different ways that it can be adapted to suit the individual which is quite nice to hear.
2: Yeah, and thats it's one of the, the focuses. It didn't used to be like that. Right. It was very much, you do your training, you get on with the job. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be more frowned upon to do things like taking maternity leave or taking time out for childcare, mm-hmm. whereas now it, it's becoming more and more accepted that that is a part of life. Yeah. And you can't expect people to put other parts of their life on hold to do their training.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um. Uh, yeah, it's it is nice to see that that's been considered now. Mm-hmm. So, with regards to like other career pathways, working as a general dental practitioner, um, we sort of hear of this dentist with special interests. Mm-hmm. Um, do you just sort of explain that a bit for us? So that's the
2: funny one. So the dentist with special interests has been around for a while, mm-hmm. um, but it hasn't ever really taken off the ground, right? So it varies in the different specialties. It predominantly exists in oral surgery and in orthodontics, mm-hmm. um, less so in some of the other specialties. So there's not many restorative, what we call a dwizzy, This was used to be its kind of short term. Um, it's something that the commissioners are looking to bring back and just kind of bring to the forefront. So as they started to bring the commissioning documents in all of the different dental specialties is to say what type of work should be done by a general dental practitioner what type of work should be done by somebody who's got a special interest or somebody then who's a specialist and what work should be done by consultants so there is now what we call kind of tier two procedures which are designed for people who have a a particular interest might have had more experience Mm -hmm. but don't necessarily hold a formal qualification for that training right Um, so that's what's coming in around the country Mm -hmm. um for the different specialties once again oral surgery is one of the bigger ones because it's something where traditionally a lot of it has been done in secondary care and there are people who have other advanced skills in it mm-hmm. whereas it's sometimes harder to get some of the advanced skills in some of the other specialties like child dental health or restorative um, to meet those needs to show that you've got extended skills right I see.
0: and without that formal qualification that's extra how how is that kind of then regulated as in who's allowed to say that they've got a special interest in x y or z you know
2: so that's why it gets a little bit of a gray area Mm -hmm. so you're supposed to be accredited so you're supposed to use what's called a managed clinical network so the all of the different people in the area who have an interest in that specialty and work under that specialty be it in primary care secondary care um, work together to run that service and the people at the top end of that are always going to be the consultants and they can accredit people to say that they've got extended skills through their portfolio, okay. through courses that they've been on, to say that they're happy with the level of work to be able to be a tier two provider.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's been looked into a, across the country because it really does vary as to what you need to do to tick that box. Some of them are a lot more strict on that than mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. And obviously that can have repercussions because whoever's signing that person off is ultimately responsible for them. Okay. Um, And also for anything that has come back as to what's in your level of skill. So if you're trying to work outside that level of skill and heaven forbid something goes wrong, it's then going to be looked back at to say, well, why did you think you could undertake that procedure? Mm -hmm. So that's why it's a little bit controversial at the moment, um, particularly in the different specialties.
0: Yeah.
1: Interesting.
0: No, that makes sense without having that kind of formal standard that's consistent across the board that, it does seem like there is room for this grey area to kind of appear, which mm-hmm. not only kind of affects the profession, but then the people working with special interests, I suppose it might be a bit for them as if to say like, oh, can I do this or can I not, you know, what's yeah. kind of out with my scope.
2: They're trying to develop that at the moment. So lots of different areas all over the country are looking at how can we formalise that, how can we make a a proper system that's accredited as to say this is appropriate you've reached that criteria and we can use that nationwide Mm -hmm. so a lot of the royal colleges now are looking at setting up different diplomas in the specialties which will give you a type of training so not quite the same formalized training where somebody's looking at everything that you do but to show that you've you've had a a basic understanding and pass the qualification at the end of that to say you've reached a certain level Mm -hmm. so hopefully that's going to be coming in plans is for over about the next year is the diplomas and the different specialties are going to start coming in
1: so helen you mentioned there about diplomas potentially becoming available through the royal colleges is this something that is going to be available through like your involvement with the royal colleges of surgeons of edinburgh
2: So the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh is one of the colleges in the country. So I might as well tell you a little bit about that, because I think we've mentioned that Royal Colleges is something that a lot of undergraduates don't really know what their role is. Mm -hmm. So they're there um, as a different body um, and they're there to provide the examinations for all of the different specialties um, and also provide a kind of a point of community and further education. And they work not only in our own country, but across the world, so all of the different colleges um, have access to that so there's the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh which is who I'm affiliated with um, there's the Royal College of Surgeons of England there's the Royal College of Surgeons of Glasgow um, there's the Royal College of Surgeons of Ireland so these are all the different ones um, that exist and when you do actually um, pass any specialist qualifications you're sitting exams normally as what are called tri-collegiate in the UK so it normally means that it's run by all of the different Royal Colleges together but one of them will take the lead on running the exam. And once you complete that exam and hopefully pass it, you decide to affiliate with a college, which is the one that you pay your fees to. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, But also that's the college that you have links to for different education and different events and feeding back into your specialty in the future. So you can become the person who's running that examination for the next generation. Um, You can be the person that gives information about education, different opportunities for dentists to do further training, not necessarily formalised training, but different courses, different educational events, and these are all run by the different Royal Colleges. Um, the bits that are coming in for the diplomas in the individual specialties, that's something that's kind of work in progress, but I think the first one is hopefully due to go ahead potentially, I think, January 2022 um, for the oral surgeons. So at the moment I'm on their working group so we're kind of working at the curriculum and looking at kind of establishing questions Mm -hmm. so that's the kind of the beginning stages of getting these things set up Mm -hmm. Um, but those colleges are there on the the more formal level to look at the different examinations Mm -hmm. that they do so you can use them for those specialties but they do other things as well so you can do things like diploma and implant dentistry Mm -hmm. it's a way of accrediting your skills for some of the stuff that isn't necessarily formalized by specialty training Mm -hmm. Um, there's Colleges that are linked to general dental practice. Um, So there's bits that the Royal Colleges can also have a role in that outside of specialty training to show that they are actively involved in trying to help progress people's careers. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a bit at the Royal College of Edinburgh for Dental Trainers. So that's another society that brings together different educators from across the country in all the different specialties and helps you to kind of learn progress education nationwide. Mm
1: So do you have to um, be a specialist to be a member of these colleges? So there's different levels. So you have a membership and you have okay. a fellowship. Yeah. And the first time that
2: you'll come across for a membership is when you do your MFDS or if you're from the London College, MJDF. Mm-hmm. So that's the qualification that you do a couple of years post-graduation, just to show that you've got a little bit more advanced skills in general dentistry. Mm-hmm. And that's the little key that gets you into various different specialty training programs mm-hmm. right. so most people like you to have done that okay not all dentists do but it's it's a way of opening doors okay so it's it's it shows that what you've built on for those years in your initial foundation dental training is to show that you've gone beyond the level of the safe beginner
1: i see and what's involved with that membership so different
2: different bits of examination um so there's normally part a and the part b um so you do osce examinations you do written examinations Um, and it's a way of assessing as i say the overall dentistry Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like finals with bells on okay so it's just taking it a little bit further than what you did Mm -hmm. for finals but provide it means that you you're keeping those skills up to date Um, and that's really important when you do become an independent practitioner is that you're then responsible for all of your education for meeting all the needs of the general Mm -hmm. dental council
0: interesting
1: that is interesting
0: i have heard actually through some people that doing the mfds exams because there is so many different pathways that you can go down and you can go down them at any time by sitting that exam you're not kind of closing a door and and adding a hurdle in front of you even if you aren't sure at that time that you you do want to go down a certain pathway or not
2: yeah it's i always say to our undergraduates the the most that you will ever know is just before you sit your finals Mm -hmm. So you do so much work to get all of that information in to pass. Um, Your knowledge is so good that it will carry you forward for those couple of years. So when you're in practice building on those skills, take advantage of it while that knowledge is still there, Mm -hmm. because... You're amazing how quick it comes back when you do that bit of basic revision for MFDS. Mm-hmm. It comes to the forefront really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. So take advantage of the fact you've already put a lot of the hard work in.
0: Yeah, rather than leaving it to kind of further down the line where where it might be more of a challenge as you're kind of setting your ways.
2: It just
1: gets, yeah, it gets harder. Your your brain gets older. <laughs> it doesn't take yeah. things in as well. We've also heard about this other sort of career option of like a portfolio career. Um, if we can sort of discuss
2: that a wee bit yeah. more. So a portfolio career, it's, it's something that I think has been badged, but I think if you speak to most people um, in dentistry, they probably don't know what you're talking about if you said a portfolio career.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's just really a way of saying that you don't just do one thing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people might do, say, three days a week in general dental practice and work with the NHS. And then they might have one day a week where they work in a different practice and they might work doing private practice. Mm-hmm. They might have another day of the week that they then work in the dental hospital teaching undergraduates. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's just to give you kind of different strings to your bow and things mm-hmm. to make your job more interesting. Mm-hmm. So some people don't just want to be a general dental practitioner who has the prospect of being in the same room potentially with the same nurse for forty years. It's it's a bit of a daunting prospect. So you want to make that an, an exciting career. So you can develop that through your career and you can change that as you go. Mm-hmm. Some people might just want to take it down to working part-time and some people prefer to do three long days, get the dentistry done, mm-hmm. and then use that other time to do other things. So it doesn't even have to be dentistry-related that you mm-hmm. can do in that other time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's quite nice that, that you know that is an option to somebody as well, isn't it, like to, again, to work to what they want from their life and their work-life balance.
2: Yeah, and it's going to change throughout throughout your careers so what Mm -hmm. you want when you first graduate will be very different to what you might want when you're in your 40s or when you're in your 50s so some people then want another challenge Mm -hmm. so initially you just think i want to get my feet under the table i want to get good at dentistry get used to working in practice preferably earn some money because you've been waiting (laughs) for that for a long time and then it starts to become less important as you get older and you might think actually i'd rather earn less money but do something that keeps me passionate about it. I want Mm -hmm. to teach the next generation. I want to have the opportunity to um, do further advanced courses, say in kind of advanced crown and bridge and put that into my practice and get the patient base where I can use those Mm -hmm. skills because Mm -hmm. they're not always fully utilized in NHS practice. Mm -hmm. Some of the more advanced things um, don't come under NHS treatment. So by doing more private practice, all of that's an opportunity that you can use those skills.
1: And it is all about just trying to find what you, well, what you enjoy and yeah. what you're good at as well, I suppose, mm-hmm. and to get the most out of your career. You mentioned teaching there. Um, What are the sort of pathways for teaching? Like you mentioned earlier about a qualification that you needed to do. How long does that take? So there's there's different kind of forms of teaching. Mm-hmm. So the the
2: true kind of what you're probably used to as undergraduates, the most common way is through an academic pathway. Mm-hmm. So most people who are employed by a university as academics have teaching as part of their contract. Right. So some people will do a teaching contract alongside a research contract.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Some people will do a teaching contract um, alongside their own specialist practice. Um, and some people um, will do research alongside their own specialist practice. So there's different kind of bits within the university they all tie into slightly different roles. So a lot of that is linked to specialty training. So you can do an actual academic pathway in specialty training where you have a background. Predominantly, it's normally an interest in research, the traditional pathway. So if you want to do research within a specialty, but also become a specialist, that's where the academic pathway comes in. Right. So it's it's similar to the NHS pathway with subtle differences. Um, there's different ways into it. So some people would do... Uh, what's called a clinical fellow job and do a PhD and once they've done the PhD they then might apply for an academic um, training post at that point mm-hmm. um, and then once they've continued and completed their specialty training they're doing bits of further research after the PhD so 25% of the time is spent doing research mm-hmm. and 75% of the time the normal specialty training. Another way into it is to do the PhD after so some people come in um, and They do a little bit of introduction into research to begin with. So during that 25% time, they're starting to build up grant applications. They're starting to build up research areas of interest. So that the aim being at the end of the specialty training, they're ready to then um, do a PhD. So some people, it slots into different parts. And then following that, um, you can then use that to do your further research in later life. Mm -hmm. So through your academic post. So most teachers are somewhere in that world of academia. Some have um, basically work as a visiting general dental practitioner. So they might come in for one or two sessions a week where they come into dental schools to give you a different side of those skills of what they learn in practice. Because as I've said, hospital dentistry and the different specialties is very different to general dental practice. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, most of people will end up in general dental practice. So it's quite important to understand what it's like doing fillings and practice well it's like doing crowds and practice rather than just in the kind of ivory towers of an institution mm-hmm. um there is another role that's called a clinical trainer so a clinical trainer is actually employed by the nhs um but they they work really for the university so it's a role where they are doing teaching so formalized teaching um but they'll also have other academic jobs so they might do stuff to do towards curriculum development or um other sides of what we provide for you as undergraduates so the exam development, so other bits of roles within it. Mm-hmm. Um, most times we try and get accredited. So whenever you're trying to do any of these things, it's good to be able to prove that you're good at it. Mm-hmm. So you can do that through the different qualifications. So you can do that through some form of diploma or a certificate or a master's. So they're the different levels that you can go into education. And that gives you some of the academic background, some of the research theory behind education. Because weirdly, as you probably don't get as undergraduates, there's a lot of theory that goes behind it. So all the research that you think about in the dental specialties, all of that exists in education as well mm-hmm. and different educational techniques. Um, so it gives you a little bit more background to be able to produce the right type of teaching for in, either undergraduates or postgraduates. Another the other side of that is the Higher Education Authority. They're basically a group that accredits you for different levels of teaching expertise. So you can be a member of the higher education authority, you could be a fellow, you can be senior fellow. And these are just another way of showing that you're extensively published and you're extensively have developed um, your own career within those fields. Mm-hmm. And it's a very kind of set accredited fashion to basically give you a badge of honour. And lots mm-hmm. of the academic units want you to have those badges to prove that teachers are teachers of a certain calibre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just stuff that you probably never heard of because I hadn't really heard about it at all when I was at that level of undergrad. Yeah. And it's only by coming into it that you actually find out these things exist. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think, well, that, yeah, that is completely true because, you know, in clinics when you're at dental school, you have clinics and you know that some are tutors potentially completing these diplomas or qualifications that you're talking about. But then there's also other... Uh, tutors that are um, general dentists that are there to you know give something back to the new generation which I think is really nice and like you say gives a different aspect to the training as well um, and insight as well Mm
2: -hmm. it's good to have that holistic approach to training yeah because you you need to see it from every side just to try and tee you guys up best we can for what's Mm -hmm. out there Mm -hmm. and as I've mentioned even all of our best efforts you still need to do the job to really experience it and to (laughs) get a feel for what dentistry
1: is truly like Mm -hmm. yeah definitely so we've sort of spoken a lot about you know all the different pathways um well a brief introduction really there's so much more information out there um where is best to sort of direct people to look for this information um so there's
2: lots of different resources um depends there's the individual specialties as you mentioned briefly if you kind of if you write the british society of and pretty much for any specialty at the end of it, you will come up with a different dental specialties. Um, there's the BDA. So the BDA is a good general resource for letting you know a little bit of an intro as to what's involved in all of those different pathways, um, because they look after all of them. Um, there's the Royal Colleges. So the Royal Colleges, you get a little bit more further information. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, particularly for specialty training, um, what's called COPDEND. So the people that organise all of the specialty training, they have what's called the Gold Guide. So the Gold Guide gives you all the information about exactly what's involved in specialty training and what the process is. And they've also now released the Silver Guide. So the Silver Guide looks at those earlier dental years, so those DCT posts, to show you what you should be achieving in those, what's expected. Because all of those things have different assessments as they go through, not necessarily in terms of exams, but work-based assessments to show that you're getting advanced skills in communication or advanced skills in different um, practical procedures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: That's good that there is information out there. Um, I actually came across the BGA document that they've done with like uh, career options. It's quite nice actually. Mm-hmm. It sort of lays it out quite nicely. It's, it's a good level I think for,
2: for where you're at just yeah. to get a bit of an overview yeah. and just to, just start thinking about it. Know, know what exists. You don't have to make any decisions. But it's just good to know what your options are, yeah, and then just start to explore them.
0: Yeah, I think Definitely. like you say, it's it's about getting that first step and just knowing that the information is out there and kind of how to access it, and kind of just knowing that that, that there isn't just one route that everybody needs to take and what options are out there. Um, having been through the pathway yourself. Um, would you have any advice for people who may be thinking about going down one of these specialist routes in dentistry?
2: I think you've got to want to do it. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a lot of hard work. And it's, it's being prepared to make that commitment to it. But it's definitely rewarding. Um, you get to explore the career. You get to work with lots of different people. And you get to see a kind of a deeper understanding of dentistry. So you're taking it to the highest level to know that within the country, there's only so many of you that can do that. Mm -hmm. It's quite a nice feeling to be able to say, actually, I do have good knowledge of this. If you ask me on my topic, I should be able to pretty much answer your questions and then feel you can give that back to the patients. So it's nice knowing that you're gonna be doing the best things for those patients possible. And that's the advantage of being a specialist is that you know everything on that field. Whereas any type of generalist needs to know a lot about everything, but doesn't know everything as much in depth. So it's quite nice knowing that you kind of go, right, I know exactly what we need to do about that, or I can collaborate with people within my institution mm-hmm. to say we're going to be doing everything to give this person the best outcome. Yeah. Um, and that's the nice side of being a specialist.
0: No, I think that's some good advice, actually, and I think it is nice to think about it that way, that you are a specialist, which means you can kind of hone in on your specialty and, and delve into that in a lot more depth than you could in general practice. So yeah, thanks for that advice.
2: It's okay. <laughs> I mean, there's there's lots of bits. Everybody will give you different advice along the way. And I think it's very much just deciding you're all on a different career pathway mm-hmm. and you don't know which way that's going to go mm-hmm. and you don't know what life's going to throw at you along those ways. So you just ha- kind of have to take it as it comes. And sometimes fate will guide you away sometimes job opportunities Mm -hmm. come up at the right place at the right time Mm -hmm. or even what you think is the wrong place at the wrong time and it might be the opposite side of the country which is the big downside to lots of the training is that sometimes have to move for the job Mm -hmm. but that might be the best thing that happens to you moving to the opposite side of the country Mm -hmm. gives you a whole different kind of outlook on life and opportunities to see dentistry in different institutions Mm -hmm. as well because it's not you get very used to it in one area but it does vary there's different opinion out there and how things should be done so Mm -hmm. the more you see the more you can kind of develop your own practice through what you've learned Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. like we were saying earlier we learn a lot from each other as well from working with different people and Um, experience different things as well
0: yeah so i think that brings us to the end of this week's episode and i think it's been a really informative episode on the kind of different career paths that are out there and the different training pathways that exist in dentistry and it kind of highlights that there isn't one path for all and that dentistry isn't just doing your bds and then going into general practice so thanks a lot helen for for all that information today it's been really useful and we've enjoyed having you on it's
2: very welcome it was nice speaking to you both thank
1: you
0: we are really enjoying making these episodes and we hope you have found them interesting and learned a little more about dentistry
1: and you can follow us on instagram at dental underscore appointment to keep up to
0: date with us but until our next episode bye, bye.